All right. Well, good morning. Wes just told me I'm glad I don't have to follow that. He's always so, so supportive, such a supportive co-pastor. <laughs> it is always hard, but uh, it's, it is a blessing. It's a blessing to hear our kids, right, out of the mouths of babes. We can, we can trust what they say. We are blessed indeed on our best day and our worst day. We are always a child of God. And that is what we have been learning through the book of Romans. I don't know what you have to be thankful about. I know many of you are probably thankful to have another holiday in your rearview mirror. As being as maybe family can be kind of difficult. Maybe your in-laws came over and set up shop in your house and, and now they're gone and you're thanking Jesus for that. Not you. My in-laws, I love my in-laws. It's not, it's not a reference to them, right? It's not, no. They, they live right around the corner, so they're always here. <laughs> I'm kidding. I love you guys. I really do. They know I do. They know I do. Yeah, so maybe, maybe you're thankful... <laughs> Maybe you're thankful about that. Maybe you're thankful about the fact that you have uh, some leftover food, uh, maybe some smoked turkey. Let me just say this about turkey. Turkey is a huge disappointment to me as a meat lover, right? So I smoked the turkey two years in a row, and it is, it is a decent amount of effort. And my brother-in-law and I made an executive decision this year that next year, if we're going to invest the amount of work that it takes, we're not going to invest it in turkey, so we are breaking with tradition. We sang the song about uh, make room for God to break all of our traditions. We're doing that next year. and We're going to have brisket for Thanksgiving instead. Yes. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. So I'm thanking Jesus for that. And those are all funny. We can thank Jesus for a lot of things. But hopefully that we've all learned together and are learning and growing in the reality of what Romans has been teaching us, of what we truly have to be thankful for. I've listed some things, and, and those are funny. But when we get down to the meat of, of Romans, what we have to be thankful for is salvation. It's salvation and it's grace. We can know that God is always happy to see us because of what Jesus has done. We've been saved by grace through faith alone. And if you haven't been walking with us through Romans, I'm just giving you a quick review. In the first two chapters of Romans, we all learned that we are in the same boat of sin and it's sinking, right? So we're, we're all in the same boat. doesn't matter. Some of us can look pretty good. We're not all out there murdering people and stuff. I get that, but we're all in the same sinful boat, and it's sinking. We all have a problem, and, and God lumps us into that same boat apart from Jesus. The good news is that we can be saved by Jesus, by faith alone in Jesus. It's not about our works, good or bad. Those things cannot earn us favor with God, because when God looks at us, he doesn't look at the good that we do or the bad that we do. He looks at us with his Jesus sunglasses on, and he sees us through the lens of Jesus and his finished work. That's what grace does for us. I'm going to say it again, because it's so, I think this is fresh. I it's fresh for me. I hope it's fresh for you. If you've grown up in church, you've probably heard, what's grace? Well, it's undeserved favor, and that's true, but this has really just been been so fresh in my heart that grace means God is always happy to save me or to, to, to see me. He's always happy to see me. On my best day, on my worst day, I'm still a child and he's happy to see me. He's happy when I come into his presence. We talked about this in Romans, I think it was three and four, Abraham and, and David, right? Their lives. We talked about old a Abe and Sarah. And I, I don't want to throw Abraham under the bus. He is a man of faith. He was a man of faith, but his faith was not perfect. In fact, he was faithless to his wife on multiple occasions. If you remember, he, he gave his wife to, to a king's harem, not once, but twice. 
two separate harems. He's like, here you go, honey. Right? Just get, what? That's so messed up. He also took for himself another wife, a slave girl, because he was trying to, to help God, and that did not end well. The reality is he had faith, but it wasn't perfect. He was faithless to his wife. He was faithless to God at times, and yet, because of grace, God was what? Always happy to see him. He was always happy to see him. Grace is quite a thing, isn't it? Again, it means that because of Jesus, God has made it possible for him to relate to us apart from our good deeds or our bad deeds. His love is not tied to our ability to be faithful or not. And so, if you're looking for something to be thankful for in this Thanksgiving season, I would remind you that it should be for the grace of God. We should all be giving thanks for God's grace. And as we've been learning about grace from Paul, and even as I've been talking about it this morning, there may be some of you in here who are thinking, is God too gracious? Is everything that you just said, is God too gracious? Levi, are you saying it doesn't matter how I live? Are you saying that, that God's just given me a license to do whatever I want because he's so incredibly gracious? Are you saying there's no consequences for sin? If I can't lose my salvation by my behavior, then who cares how I behave, right? Jesus is just, he's just gonna cover it. Let's just go crazy like a teenager who, who mom gives him the credit card, right? Just rack up that tab. Is that what our attitude towards grace is supposed to be? It's a great question. It's a great question. Whether you're thinking or not, Paul actually anticipates the question is going to come. Because the reality is that if we preach grace the way the Bible presents it, this is always going to be a, a yeah but that comes along. Are you just, great, that sounds too good to be true. You're saying it doesn't matter how I live? I just, just do whatever I want and keep sinning so that God's grace may increase? If you're thinking that, Paul has anticipated that question and he actually has something to say about it in Romans 6. In Romans 6, look, he posed the question in Romans 6, verse 1. He says, what shall we say then? What shall we say then? Because of this grace Levi keeps yapping on about and how we're, God's always happy to see me regardless of how I behave or disbehave or misbehave. God's so gracious. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Paul simply and emphatically answers that question in verse 2. My paraphrase? Harry, no. No way. Absolutely not. Verse 2. By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? What Paul is saying here, and this is how my brain works, he is saying that there is no such thing as a Dory Christian. There's no such thing as a Dory Christian. You guys know who Dory is? Right? From Finding Nemo? The line, right? Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, right? It's really catchy. It's going to be in your head all day. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome, right? Paul is saying that there's no such thing as a Dory Christian. What he means is that Christians do not say, just keep sinning, just keep sinning, just keep sinning. That is not something that we get to say as a Christian. Why? He says, because Christian folks have died to sin. They no longer live in it. Or to say it another way, they no longer swim in it. They have not made their home in a sinful lifestyle, whatever that sin may be. We don't swim in it any longer. And we don't respond to God's grace as just saying, well, just keep sinning. Just No, that's not how we respond because God's grace changes us. It changes us. 
We are changed by grace, and we continually change by God's grace. This means, church, that grace is not a license to sin. It has never been a license to sin. God's grace does not free us up to sin all the more. God's grace frees us up from the power of sin in our lives. God's grace frees us to enter the sanctification process of changed, to be changed and to be changing continually. Look at verses three and four. Paul says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. Paul says, I want you to think about the, the metaphor or the symbolism that comes from baptism. He says, baptism symbolizes outwardly and publicly what Christ and the Holy Spirit does for us internally and spiritually. He says, when someone is dunked into the water, that's meant to symbolize them as being dead and buried, just like Christ was put into the tomb. We're dead and buried to our old way of life, to the sinful way of life, to the sinful patterns that we were in. We're dead. That guy, that gal, they're dead. They're buried. Kind of like a seed is planted. Paul also teaches, I think it's in Corinthians, he says that just like a seed needs to die before it can give birth to new life, we too are planted like a seed. We're dead and buried into the ground in baptism. And then he says, when we're, when we're pulled up from that water, that's symbolic of us being raised to new life, like a new shoot, a new plant. In Christ, we're cleansed from our old way of life and we're called to live differently. So you think about it like this. We're going this way in sin, just keep sinning, just keep sinning, and then we repent and we turn from that old way of life to Jesus. We have faith. We're dead. We're buried. We're planted in Christ and then we get a new life. So that the sin that used to reign and control us, that used to guide and direct us, we say no to that now because we have the power of the Holy Spirit in our life to say yes to Christ, to follow Him. He becomes the person that's guiding and directing us, not our old way of life. Paul continues in Romans uh, 6, 5, and 7. He says we're something new, we're something altogether different when we're baptized into Jesus, baptized by the Spirit and then publicly baptized into, into the body. He says, for we have been united with him in death like his. We will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. Our old self was buried, crucified, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free, not to sin, been set free from sin. Again, for Paul, there is no such thing as a Dory Christian. Here again, we see that God's grace is, meant, is not meant to, to free us up to just keep sinning. It's, it's meant to lead us to repentance, to, to lead us into a life where we live free from the power of sin. You say, what's this supposed to look like? Paul continues and he says, Jesus is not just the person who empowers this life. He shows us what it's meant to look like. He's the prototype. He's the example. Verses 8 and 10. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Why? For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Paul wants us to remember that in life, Jesus was not a slave to death 
or a slave to sin. Death and the fear of death did not control how he lived. Sin and the power of sin, his own personal desires, did not rule his life. If you read the Gospels, Jesus time and time again, as folks are asking him, hey, what are you up to? Why are you doing this? Time and time again, he says, I only do what I see my Father in heaven do. I only share with people, tell people what I hear from my Father in heaven. He is the guiding force in my life. I am submitted to him. I listen to him. I know his word. I'm immersed in what he says. I spend time with him every single day and he guides and directs every single one of my steps. I'm not living in fear of death and I'm not living controlled by my own personal desires. I'm submitted to God. And then at the end of his life, you see Jesus in the, in the um, garden, right? And he's, he's giving us a glimpse of what it looks like to let God be our our king and the person reigning over us, our master rather than sin. He says, Father, if there's any way for this to be taken care of, and by this he means the sin of the world, if there's any other way for this to happen other than the cross and death, can can we do that? Because personally, I'm afraid. Personally, this is not what I want. This is not what I desire. I'm not feeling this, God, yet. Not my will. Your will be done. Your will be done. That's what this looks like every single day. We submit ourselves to God and and let him be his will in our life rather than our own. Rather than than our own. And God's grace in our life frees us up to do this. It frees us up to do this. To live after Christ's example. Look with me at Romans 6, 11 through 14. In the same way, in the same way as what? In the same way as who is a better question. In the same way as Jesus, the example that we see of him throughout scripture, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that, you're, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. My question for you in response to that last section is, what does this look like practically? What does this look like practically? As we've already discussed, when the grace of God is faithfully and accurately preached, there will always be that person who says, well, doesn't matter how I live, grace is just going to cover that, right? There will always be that person that, that hears grace, hey, license to sin, right? We got Mardi Gras meets spring break in Cancun, break out the kegs, it don't matter. Jesus is going to forgive me. Paul says this is wrong. He says, if this is your response to God's grace, you have missed the message entirely. You and I don't need freed to sin. Church, this is why our world is such a mess. It's why our world is such a mess. Everyone is free to sin, and we are openly, unashamedly. Our culture celebrates their freedom to sin. We celebrate it. How's that working for us? We're all free to follow our hearts. That's what that means, right? The Bible says your heart is deceitfully wicked above all else, and our culture says, follow it. 
Follow your heart. Follow your sexuality. Follow your personality. Wherever the hairy they lead you. You're free. How's it working? I'll tell you. Depression, disease, and death. Saying we've been freed to just keep sinning, just keep sinning. Saying we've been freed to sin by the grace of God as a Christian is like a fish choosing to live on land rather than in the water and calling it freedom. Right? You got that fish, just keep sinning, just keep sinning. And they're looking out, they're looking out at the land and they're saying, man, I see all those people up on the land. That looks like freedom. I want that. And they swim out of the land and crawl up on there. And what happens to the fish out of water? It dies. It dies. That's what you and I are like when we persist in our own ideas of what freedom is and we live slaves to sin rather than slaves to God. We choose to swim out of the the world in which we were created to live. God designed it. He created it. He sets up the parameters for us to live with joy and peace and rest. And we're swimming in that world. And we look out over here and it's like, that's where freedom is. I want that. Because we've been deceived. Sin, and, and, and sin may offer us some short-term pleasure. This is why it's such a hard thing to break. It is pleasurable to sin in a lot of different ways in the short term. But at the end of the day, sin is a cruel mistress. Sin will always take us farther than we ever intended to go. Always. And eventually, it will lead us to our deaths. You see, church, you and I don't need freedom to sin. What you and I need freedom is from sin. We need freedom from sin. And this is precisely what Jesus has offered to us. Power to say no to the sin that so easily entangles now, don't misunderstand me. This doesn't mean that Christians never sin. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle with sin. If you believe that or get that from what I'm trying to say, you're going to leave here incredibly discouraged because if you're like me, you struggle with sin daily. It's a battle. It's a battle. That's not lost on God, friend. It's why Paul writes to us what he writes to us in Romans 6, 11 through 13. You can read it for yourselves, but essentially he's saying... There's a battle that's going to go on. Don't choose sin. Choose, submit yourself to God. Choose, choose God. Choose His way. But he, He's setting it up before us because He understands there is going to be a struggle. If it were true that Christians never struggle with the presence of sin in our lives, then Paul wouldn't need to tell us this. God wouldn't have had Paul tell us this. In Romans 7, we're going to talk about it even more in depth. What I want you to see here this morning is that no one is expecting you, not even God. God is not expecting you to be perfectly sinless in this life. That's the hope, and that's the goal eventually, but it ain't going to happen this side of heaven. The presence of sin is still here. The power's been broken, but we still contend with its presence. And Paul, he isn't saying that Christians don't sin or that we never struggle with sin, but what he is saying is that we are no longer slaves to sin. We have a choice in the matter now. He's telling us that God has made a way for us to experience progress this side of heaven. Not perfection, but progress in our struggle with sin through the power of Jesus and his Holy Spirit in our lives. He's telling us that sin does not reign in our bodies any longer. At least it shouldn't. It shouldn't. It doesn't have to. We get a choice by faith in Jesus. Church, do you know what it looks like to live with sin reigning? 
It looks like our current culture. Follow your heart. Follow your personality. Follow your feelings. Do what you want to, when you want to, how you want to, with whoever you want to. Sin reigning looks like celebrating the things that the Lord tells us we should be ashamed of in the Scriptures. It looks like being resigned to the fact that, well, I guess I'm never going to change. This is just who I am. And just living in a contentment there. Sin reigning looks like us giving up the fight against sin. But Paul is telling us that that's not what God expects from us, right? There's no Dory Christians. Just keep sinning. No, that's not a thing. We choose to fight. Being a Christian means that we've been given power and authority to fight back against sin. Jesus tells us, he says, resist the devil and he will flee. Not agree with the devil or just make light of what the devil agrees with and then he'll flee. No, he says resist. I've given you power to fight, to resist, and the devil will flee. Ultimately, we're promised victory, but in the meantime, it's going to look like a struggle. And I want that to encourage you. If you're struggling with sin, be encouraged. That is a good thing. That is a good thing. It means the Spirit is active in your heart. And as we struggle, the path of victory is paved with grace. That's what Paul says. As we struggle against sin, Paul wants us to know how to fight. And he tells us, he says, Christian, remember, you are now under grace. You are no longer under law. And this is where it gets tricky. You see, when grace is preached, there are kind of two wrong ways to respond to it. And there are different sides of the same coin. The first side says, well, if everything that Levi's saying is true and everything in the Bible is about God's grace and it really is true that on my best day I'm God's child on my worst day I'm God's child, it doesn't really matter, well then let's throw out the rules. Who cares? Jesus is just going to forgive me. I'll just make sure to do all the things and say the prayers and, and I'll be covered. I'm good. That's called license. And it's a wrong response to God's grace. The other side of the coin goes away, goes, oh, if we got no rules on this side, the other side says, well, if sin is as bad as you say and that's as horrible as you, you, you said and, and if a little rules is helpful, well, then boy, we just need more rules. We just need way more rules. So you got some Christians over here that's like, hey, Grace, just live it up, get your license to sin card, you'll be good. And then over here, you got another subset of Christians that are like rules on top of rules, right? Like a ton of rules. We, I, we, there's so many rules. It's like, like a fence. If a fence is kind of good, it's just keep getting in, and eventually you're like in this little prison, right? Don't listen to secular music, right? Because secular music is other, it has drums, and drums are used in the pagan thing and calls up the, don't, stay away from those things, right? And my question is, what about country music? <laughs> right? Because there's some country songs that sing a lot about, about alcohol, and it's like, so we can't listen to those. But there's some that sing about Jesus, right? Jesus take the wheel. I'm praying in a deer stand. I was like, That's, those are kind of solid. And then you got these, these song, country songs in the middle, we got, they're singing about Jesus, but having a beer with Jesus. So we got alcohol and Jesus, out. we need another rule, right? We need another rule, right? All the rules. There's just so many rules. Here's the reality. License and legalism 
are wrong responses to grace, and they will not unleash the power to set you free from sin in your life. They have no power. They are powerless to set us free from the mastery of sin. The only way to live free from sin is through relationship. It's through relationship. Paul tells us in this passage, we need to be adopted. That's what the baptism is about. We're being adopted into a family, dying to our old way of life, our old self, our old inheritance, our old heritage and genetics. We're being reborn into the family of God to live alive with him. And friends, we don't need to overcomplicate this. I want you to think for a moment about the family you grew up with. Maybe it was good, maybe it was bad. Think about other families that you know, okay? The first family that we're going to think about is that, is that legalist family. They all rules, right? They got no, no cussing, no fussing, no all the, I mean, all the rules. It's a fence around their kids. Super strict, insanely strict, just rule after rule. That they don't really have so much love in their family towards their kids. It's just rules. Don't do this. Don't do this, right? And as the kids get older, why, why mom? Why, why dad? Why do we do this? Don't worry about it because I told you so. This is just how we do things. This is our tradition. This is what's it. Rule, rule, rule. Thumb on the kid always. Little, little love, lots of discipline, only rules. We know families like this. Maybe not here, but you know, out there. What happens to that kid when he or she grows up? What do they do? they rebel. Almost always. It's like guaranteed. You structure your family in a, a, a ridiculously strict way that is mostly prized about rules rather than relationship. Rule over relationship. Rule over relationship. You set it up that way and your kids are going to rebel. Why? Why? Because relationships built on love and grace compel obedience in a way that a list of rote rules never will. Never will. And what about the flip side of that coin? We got all the rules over here, no relationship. We got no rules over here and relationship, license, freedom, right? This is the family where maybe the, the parents provide, but emotionally, their kids are just a nuisance. They're not happy to see them. They just can't wait till they're up and out of the house. I don't care what you do. Here's my credit card, just whatever. Here's the TV, just they're left alone with no direction, no love, no, no rules. I don't care when you come home, it doesn't matter. No rules, no structure. What happens in those relationships? A lot of times this happens between the, the daddy-daughter relationship. We see this a lot, right? Where dad's, he's, he's providing, but he's actually not there emotionally. Not giving the love and the support to his daughter. What happens in that, in that relationship where, and he's giving her freedom, no rules, I don't care what you do, but the love's not there. Well, we see these girls grow up and they start looking for love in all the wrong places. They start following their heart. They don't have a list of rules. They never had a list of rules. But what they choose, it, it leads them into dysfunctional relationships with bad men because there was no structure, no love, no rules. Now, I want you to think about a family, a Christian family, where love and grace is the keystone of the relationship between the parent and child. Sure, there are some rules. Rules are helpful. Sure, there is some discipline. But man, the kids in this family, they know that on their best day, mom and dad are happy to see them. Not because of their achievements, but because they're their children. And on their worst day, when they fail miserably and they disobey and don't live up to the standards and all of that, they still know that mom and dad are happy to see him. 
because their love is built not on their behavior. It's built on grace and love and the relationship. Those children, a lot of love, a lot of discipline, those children are the ones that grow up to be well-adjusted and productive citizens of society. Why? Because grace changes them. They don't have to be forced to follow mom and dad, but they've grown to understand that mom and dad love them and the grace has, and love has built trust and in 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 intimacy that, man, in their heart, they don't want to disappoint mom and dad. They want to follow and live up and into that relationship. The relationship is what compels their obedience. This is what God is inviting us into. This is what grace was always meant to do. It was meant to draw us into a deeper relationship so God doesn't have to force us to obey him, but our hearts change and we see how worthy he is and how loving he is and his compassion and mercy actually changes what we want so that now no longer do we even want what sin wants. We want to live under our father. We want what he wants because we understand that what he wants for us is best. Does this make sense? I've entitled today's message, How to Know You're Saved. I'm guessing that in a crowd this large, there, there are several people out here who struggle with assurance and confidence in your faith. Do you want to know how you can boost some of that confidence? Get some more assurance in regards to your faith? Ask yourself, what's my attitude towards sin? Do I tolerate it? Do I excuse it? Do I make it a habit and practice of just keep sinning, just keep sinning? Or do I seek and desire to follow the Lord? Not always perfectly, not without a struggle, but is my heart to do what my Father in heaven desires for me to do? If your heart is that, then through this passage, Paul would say, you should have a fairly high confidence in your faith. If you are content and see no problem, just keep sinning, there's no struggle, that's a red flag. It doesn't mean you're out, but you should hit the pause button and do some soul searching. Again, perfection is not what we're looking for. Progress is the key. Am I changing? Am I changing? See, if grace is changing you, grace is saving you. It's not always steps forward. Sometimes it's step back, but progress is what we're looking for. If there's no change, that is a problem. That's a problem. As a Christian, we never get to say, well, I was born this way in regards to any sin. Any sin. We never get to say, I was born this way. We never get to say, and this one is a little bit more trickier, well, that's just my personality, right? You hear people say that. Well, I took a Myers-Briggs test, and I'm a J-E-R-K, right? I'm a jerk. It's just who I am. It's who I am, right? No. As a believer, we never get to say, that's just who I am. I was born this way. This is just my personality. No. By no means. Christ has freed us from sin power, and you and I get to change. We can change. And the resurrection is proof of God's power. If he can make dead bodies alive, then he can help us conquer the sin that exists in our life. The key to this is not saying, well, no rules, nothing matters. It does matter. We want to please the Father. 
It's not a license to sin. That's not what grace is. The key to this is not, well, we just need more rules, right? You have to invent rule after rule after rule. Neither one of those can do it. Grace is meant to draw us deeper into relationship with the God of heaven who says, listen, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, I promise I will always be happy to see you. Come into my presence. Let me be the guiding, directing force in your life. Say no to sin. I will empower you to battle against the sin in your life. You can know greater and greater freedom. And even when you fail, please know, because you're my child, I'm always happy to see you. I'm always happy to see you. That's what grace is meant to do. That's what grace is meant to do. And grace enables us to present ourselves to God for works of righteousness. And let me tell you this, church. If you discover what your gifting is from your Father in heaven, whether that be welding or making roads or putting groceries on a shelf, right? All, when you discover what God has called you to do and you use those gifts for works of righteousness, there is no greater failing in the world. There is nothing greater in the world that will increase your confidence and assurance of your faith than when you submit to your Father and you say, here I am, send me. Use my gifts to make this world a better place and to give glory to your name. There's not a greater feeling in the world. Because of grace, you and I have been able to do that. We've been able to, we've been able to do that. Grace frees us from sin. It does not free us to sin. And the only way to walk in the truth of that is to grow your love relationship with the Father. If you're confused about how to get started in that journey, come see Wes or myself or our prayer team after the service, and we would love to help you get started. It is a journey. Not perfection. Progress. Little by little. Turning from our sin to the Father in the truth and, and knowing that He's always happy to see us because we stand in Jesus. That if you can live there, that will change you and you will see progress. The Lord promises it. Let's pray and we'll sing a final song together. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the grace given to us in Hebrews chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians 3 where you essentially tell us to act our age. Thank you, Lord, for the reality of what stands behind that statement. That if we're a baby... You don't expect us to be able to feed ourselves or care for anyone else. And you're okay with that. You're committed to our growth and development and maturity. Thank you that as you expect us to act our age for the grace that, that exists within that expectation. If we're a four-year-old, you don't expect us to act like a four-year-old. And thank you also, Lord, for the love that exists in that statement. That if we are a 40-year-old and are still acting like a four-year-old, that in love you promise to discipline us not out of wrath or judgment but in love to cultivate a new heart and greater maturity so that we might live up and into what you've called us to that you might enable us to present ourselves to you for works of righteousness and experience the assurance and confidence and joy and freedom that comes from living out of that reality I pray, Father, that none of us would ever be a Dory Christian that just says, I'm content to just keep sinning. I pray, Father, that you would set us free from sin, that you would empower us in our struggle against sin, and that you would enable all of us to see greater fruit, 
greater freedom and progress from our old sin. Help us live more like Jesus. For your glory and our joy we pray. Amen.